don't know if you've experienced this, but uh, if you've ever been to um, an unveiling of some sort, and this is what I mean. Let's say you have a, a city, for example, that may have commissioned an artist to you know, sculpt a statue of some famous person. Maybe that person was from their city or impacted their city or maybe helped found their city or whatever it may be. <clears throat> but you have some famous person and uh, the city commissions an artist to use their craft to come up with a beautiful piece of artwork. And then the artist works long and hard to create this beautiful uh, expression of art. And uh, he finally, or she finally completes it. And then they uh, have this ceremony, you know, this celebration, where they're going to have the unveiling of this concealed piece of beauty. And so they plan it, they schedule it. The town, the city, they all rally around this, uh, this great event. And then you, when you arrive at this event, uh, you know there's going to be a, a huge statue of somebody. And you, and you know what it's going to be to some degree. But you know there's going to be a statue, but you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know how, yeah, if it's going to be a good statue or if they just botched it or whatnot. You don't know. But you know there's going to be a statue. So you show up and you see this object there. And usually there's something on top of it, right? There's like a sheet or some type of covering over it. Because what they want to do is they want to have the ceremony and then in a grand you know, display they want to unveil it. This concealed you know, piece of beautiful artwork. They want to unveil it so everybody can see the beauty of the, of the sculpture and the talent of the artist. And you know, when you think about God, who obviously is the ultimate artist, uh, He puts many things on display so that we can see His beauty, His goodness, His power. I mean, you think about creation. You know, there are aspects of creation that are broken and hard for us to look at. And yet there are other aspects of creation, parts of creation that are very beautiful and good and you're just entranced by them. And it gives you a glimpse of the beauty and the goodness and the power of God. And then throughout the Old Testament, as you read the Bible, you realize that God is not only good and powerful and, and um over all things and creator of all things, but actually that He desires to have a relationship with mankind. And that God is going to provide a way for us to enter into a relationship with Him. Even though we know our own selves, we know that we tend to live our lives apart from God. It's what the Bible calls sin. We did tend to go our own way. And then as you read the Bible though, you realize that even in spite of our sin, God is going to work out a way for us to come to know Him. And all throughout the Old Testament, it's like looking at a statue underneath the covering. You know He's going to do it. You're not 100% sure how He's going to do it, the details, but you know it's there. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you see the, the sheet being lifted up just a little bit by a little bit. And you know He's doing something. You know He's going to bring it to pass. You know He's going to bring this uh, Messiah, this, this King, this person who will somehow... Uh, put us in right relationship with God if we place our faith in Him and follow Him. And so all that's developing. And then the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes in the flesh and dwells among us and the sheet is taken off. And you see the culmination of the beauty and goodness and love of God right before your eyes. And 
I wonder, you know, just thinking about my own context, my own life, because my life has intersected that Jesus Christ. And He has brought new life to me. He's forgiven me of my sin. He has put me in a right relationship with God. And yet, I still find myself not always you know, putting God first. I don't always see myself seeking to please God. But sometimes I seek to please other people. And maybe, and maybe you can relate to that as well. And this was actually a charge or an attack, you might say, that was leveled against the Apostle Paul. See, Paul's life was dramatically intersected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, God, in a dramatic fashion, called Paul to himself and gave him a mission to take the news about how God is going to reconcile man to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ, take it beyond Jerusalem and plant churches all around Jerusalem and in the nations. And so Paul, he embraces Christ as his Lord, as his Savior. He follows Christ. And he begins to plant churches. He goes through Galatia and he begins to plant churches. He's sharing the gospel. People are responding. And as he's moving on through the cities, he gets word that people have moved into Galatia and they're beginning to uh, attack Paul's motive for his mission and the message of his mission. And so the accusation could go something like this. They were saying, you know, Paul is a good guy and all, but he really has this people-pleasing problem. <laughs> he wants to go into these cities and he wants to try to gain a following. And because he wants to please people, he leaves out certain aspects of the gospel. And so what he taught you was partially right, but there are other things that you need to follow and obey in order to be in a right relationship with God. And specifically in the book of Galatians, we know some of those issues that Paul will address are you have to be pretty much Jewish before you can become a Christian. You need to not only place your faith in Christ, but you also need to be circumcised, you need to obey the ceremonial law of God, the cleansing laws, the food laws, etc. On top of placing your faith in Christ. And so they're saying, you know, Paul has this people-pleasing problem, and so he, he left out some of those things, because he knew you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe that, you wouldn't go along with that. And so they begin, begin to discredit Paul, or try to attack his motive. And I, I can see why they're doing that, because that's a very effective attack, especially since Paul's gone, right? And I know even in my own life, and perhaps you as well, you've probably been in situations where you knew that if you were to unveil the gospel in this situation or this conversation, then people may not respond well to you. And so you've probably been in situations where you deliberately kept quiet about your identity in Christ because you wanted those people to like you or to approve of you. And so those who attack Paul are kind of going at this angle thinking to discredit him and lead the Galatians astray. Now, we'll see later in verse 10 that Paul says that this, in fact, was not his motivation, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But just thinking about this issue of seeking the approval of man, it does carry weight with it. It does carry a lot of power. And we know that to be true in our own lives, perhaps, when you've been in those situations where you have deliberately kept quiet about 
the gospel and who you relate to, you know, your identity in Christ in order to get the approval of people. And you may say, well, Ron, what's the problem with um, wanting people to like you? I mean, is that a bad thing? (laughs) Are you saying I should just wake up every day and say, you know what? I hope everyone hates me today. I'm going, to try to get, I'm going to try to get everybody just to hate me today so I won't be a people pleaser. You know, doesn't, doesn't the Bible teach us, doesn't even Jesus teach us that we should love our neighbors as ourselves? Surely that means that we should try to get along a bit, peace with other people. So what's the problem with being likable? You know, even Paul says that I'm willing to become like the people I'm around so I can have more access to them and have better communication with them. And what's the problem with you know, getting to know people, giving up some of your rights so that you can have a relationship with people. Uh, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with, you know, pleasing people? Well, the issue is, it's not that you should not seek peace or seek to be in right relationships with people and things like that. But when the approval of people trumps the approval of God, That's when we have a problem. That's when we tend to get confused about our direction and what we should and shouldn't do. And so when when the approval or the the motivation to please others becomes a higher desire than what God would want for us or what God would want us to become, then we have an issue that Paul addresses in in this chapter. And he responds to and many of you are familiar with you know, the lizard species, the chameleon, right? I was doing some research on the chameleon. I didn't know there were like 170 types of chameleons. Obviously, I didn't research each one because I was looking for one specifically. And it was the type of chameleon that can blend in with its surroundings, right? So if it's in a dark area, it can change the color of its skin, to be darker, or if it's in a light area, it can change the color of its skin to blend into camouflage. And I think one of the issues that Paul is going to be reacting against here in this verse, in this this few verses, specifically in verse 10, is that it's one thing to, you know, adapt to people, but there's a there's a sense in which you can over-adapt where you actually give up the gospel. When you actually compromise what the gospel is, you have adapted so much to whatever audience you're speaking with or you're being with that you've lost the gospel. And many of us have been in this situation and felt this temptation. You know, perhaps you were you know, with a group of your peers and they were wanting to do something that you knew was not something God would have you do. Or maybe you were in the workplace and there was a discussion going on about making a decision that you knew was unethical and you felt that tension. Or maybe you were in a conversation with someone and the door opened up for you to really go deeper with that person and talk about their relationship with the Lord. And at that moment, there was that tension. There was that debate within your own heart. And the debate went something like this. Am I seeking the approval of God or am I seeking the approval of man? And we know when we seek the approval of man, what we do is we conceal the gospel. We, we only share that which we know will gain us favor in the eyes of those around us. 
And you can see how that can be a very dangerous thing for a follower of Christ. Because we are compromising our identity. We're compromising the gospel. And so not only are we not seeking to please God, but we're also keeping people. I want you to hear this. We're keeping people from seeing the beauty of the gospel. We're keeping the sheet over the statue. And we're saying, I would rather your your focus be on me and see me in a better light than to see Christ as who He is. So sometimes, and I know this is true of me, sometimes I find myself seeking the approval of men rather than seeking the approval of God. And you know, this is actually one of the biggest barriers. If you talk to just about anybody, this is one of the biggest barriers uh, for us as Christians to share our faith with other people. Fear of rejection. Fear of what other people will think about us. Fear of losing a relationship. And so that paralyzes us and keeps us from showing the people the beauty of Christ. So, the question is, are you, are you more concerned with pleasing men or with pleasing God? Now, I want to say a little bit about what I mean by pleasing God. And I want to tell you what I think Paul is talking about here in verse 10. You know, imagine you were, you were in high school, maybe a senior in high school, and a group of your friends presented you with an opportunity to go uh, to the beach with them for a week on these certain dates. And so you go and you talk to your father and you say, you know, Dad, uh, a group of my friends want to know if I can go to the beach with them during this week. And your dad says, well, son, I, um, I don't think that's the best use of your time. And I actually have some other things I want you to do that week. And there's a few ways you can respond to that. One, you could just ignore your father and go to the beach anyway. Option one. Option two, you could go back to your friends and say, "Um, I appreciate the opportunity, but my mean father, (laughs) who doesn't want me to have any fun, you know, he said I can't go. So, I can't go. Now before I give you a third option, I want to look at those options. Those responses. Now, what do those responses communicate about the son's relationship with his father? There's a few things I think they communicate. One is they communicate that the will of the son and the will of the friends is worth more than the will of the father. Like the first option. I'm just going to go do my own thing anyway, no matter what my father says. And the second one, to come back and say, well, I'm going to do what my father says, but I hate it, says, my father really isn't good. And I really don't have a great relationship with him. So it communicates not only a brokenness between your your relationship with the father, your father, and even communicates something about his character that perhaps isn't true, but it also displeases your father when you obey him either out of just pure obligation and also you you just don't obey and you go on the trip anyway now the third option is that you can go back and tell your friends you know I've talked this over with my my, my father and um, 
he has some other plans for me that week. And so even though I would like to go with you all, I'm going to stay with my father and do what he wants me to do. Now, what does that communicate to your friends? Well, it communicates that the will of my father is greater and more important to me than my will or even the will of those around me. And it communicates that I have a love for the father and I know he has a love for me, that I am willing to trust him that this is better for me than going this other direction. Now this is what I mean, this is what I think Paul means when he says, I seek the approval of God. Notice that the son doesn't become a son because he obeys the father. He's already a son. But when he obeys the father because of who the father is to him, it pleases the father. And not only does it please the Father, but it shows those around the Son who the Father is. And that's how it is with us. When we know God, when we know what He wants us to do, and when we decide to do it, even when we are rejected by those around us, it communicates something to them. Even though they may not like it, they may reject us, one thing it communicates to them is, this is who God is. I value what God wants. And not only does it put a picture, it, it you know, unveils the gospel to the people around you, but it also pleases God when He sees you living out your position as son or daughter in Christ. And so this is what I think Paul means when he says that he seeks to win the approval of God. He's, he's telling the Galatians that he you know, he lives his life based on his relationship with God. He's telling them that that is his motive. And so the question for us is, kind of on a side note here, when we talk about just seeking the approval of God, are we, are we obeying God in order to be accepted by God? Or, we are, or are we obeying God because we have been accepted by God in Christ? And God wants the latter for us. Realizing that it's through the work of Christ we've been accepted. And out of that acceptance, we can now live in obedience. From the fuel of our acceptance in Christ, we can run the race that He has set before us. So the false teachers here in Galatia, they're saying, you know, Paul is, you know, he is a people pleaser. He's compromising the gospel. He's not telling you the full gospel because he wants a following. And this is what Paul says in verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ." I love what Paul says here. He says, if I were still trying to please man. Implying that in his past, that's exactly what he was doing. He was living for the approval of man. And now something has changed in his life. And now he's living for the approval of God. And what he's saying here is that you cannot be a people pleaser and a servant of Christ at the same time. One will always trump the other. It's like Jesus said, you can't have two masters. One will always trump the other. 
And so I think what Paul's saying here is we can be, you know, as flexible as we possibly can with people. I mean, we want to be as flexible as we can with people. We, we want to even give up our rights in order for you know, others to flourish and do well. But if it begins to compromise the gospel, we can't continue down that road. We have to speak out, speak up, speak into the situation. We have to change the behavior route. We have to go a different direction because the gospel is at stake. And we want people to see the beauty of the gospel. We don't want them to see a perverted version of the beauty of God in Christ through what we say and do. And we also want to seek the approval of God. And so Paul assures the Galatians that his motive for sharing the gospel with them was not to gain a following, but to serve Christ. But that wasn't the only aspect of Paul's ministry that these false teachers were attacking. They were attacking his motive, but they were also attacking his message. And their accusation may have gone something like this. You know, Paul's message, although it was good, it was incomplete, because he probably got it from some other teacher, some other Christian, you know, told him what to say, so that's what he's been teaching And maybe he had some personal reflection on those topics, but he's lacking the fullness of what the gospel message is, the the way you can come to know God personally. And so they're saying, you know, Paul's rendition of the gospel is, is incomplete because of how he received it. And I want you to notice how Paul responds to those attacks. He could just say, Galatian Christians, my gospel is true. And that would be sufficient. I mean, that would be true. That would be a true statement. But notice as he, he couches his response in a narrative. He couches his response in his personal testimony. He shares how Christ intersected his life and changed his life in order to explain to them his motive and his message that he shared with them. Listen to, to what he says beginning in verse 11. He said, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he's just sharing his story. He's sharing his personal testimony. He's saying, my life has been dramatically intersected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been changed. I was once a people pleaser. But now I'm seeking the approval of God through what He's done for me in Christ. And His main thrust of the message is the gospel that I preach to you comes from Christ Himself. You know, Paul is one of the original apostles with the capital A. He's the, one of the original ones personally sent out by Christ to deliver Scripture and plant churches in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And so what Paul does here is he shares a brief version of his story with him. And, and notice what he says. He says, this is what my life was like before I met Christ. 
And then this is how Christ intersected my life. And now this is the reason I do what I do and I say what I say. Because of what Christ has done for me. You know, who would have thought that God would use someone who persecuted the church to promote the church? You know, who would have thought that God could use someone's broken past to help people see the beauty of the gospel? Did you know that that God can use your broken past? He can use your broken past to, to put on display the beauty of the gospel. I mean, as you look back over your life, I'm sure there are several things that you said, you know, if I could go back and do them over again, I would. Um, but you had no control over some of those things. Your parents, where you were born, how you were raised, all these things, but God is saying, I can use your story to put on display this greater story of what Christ has done and what He's doing. He can use you. He can use your past. He can use your story to unveil the beauty of the gospel. So whether you placed your faith in Christ when you were four years old or 40 years old, God can use your story to unveil the gospel. Take the sheet off so people can see the beauty of what He's done through Christ. And although we're not those first century apostles, those original ones that were sent out by Christ, we have a story to tell nonetheless. If your life has been intersected by Christ and changed by Christ, you have a story to tell. And one thing I I just provided for you this morning is in your bulletin there's a little insert. And it just walks you through a simple way to put together your personal story in a simple way so that you can, like Paul, just... He just shared his testimony in just a few verses. It might only take about a minute to read. And he shared with you how Christ changed his life. And so perhaps you can use that bulletin insert just to think through your own personal story. When did Christ intersect my life? How did that change my life? How did it change the way I live and view life? And you could share that with the people you come in contact with. And when our story became woven in the God story through what Christ has done. When we were intersected by Christ, our story began, became woven in with God's story in order to put on display the beauty and the power of the gospel. And so when we live out our faith, the gospel is unveiled. Every time we give a, people a glimpse of our love for God, as we interpret our actions while we do what we do, and as we share Christ with them, the sheep peels back a little bit more. And they see Christ for who He is. And so, this morning I want us to realize that every conversation and every situation is an opportunity to pull back the sheet and put the beauty and the power of the gospel on display. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that You are the pursuer Lord, you pursued us when we were not pursuing you. And we see even with the Apostle Paul that uh, he was out to destroy the church, destroy what Christ was doing, and yet you pursued him, and when Christ intersected his life, his whole life changed. Lord, help us to be able to reflect on how you've changed our lives. Help us to be able to remember 
when we first placed our faith in you. And help us to be willing and able to share that gospel with those around us. Even if that means rejection or acceptance, that we would be willing to seek your approval over the approval of people. And we trust you for that in Christ's name. Amen.